Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to the final week of our eight-week series called Upside Down, where we've been taking a deep dive into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. As we conclude our series, we're going to be talking a lot about judging and condemning. And I'm really excited about this one because, as you know, we have been going through what? What have we been studying for these past couple of weeks, partly? We have indeed been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we've been talking about it for seven weeks straight. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for seven weeks at this point, and we are finally concluding our series called Upside Down tonight. Eight week. Yep, this is the last week of our Sermon on the Mount series, and so I'm, ex- uh, I'm excited to conclude this. It's been good. It's been a good week. It's been an awesome series. Uh, we've learned a lot, and so what we've been talking about, as we've been learning a lot, we've been keeping focus on one particular verse right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You all should have this memorized by now because I repeat it every single week. It's Matthew 7, verse 24, where Jesus says, What? That was such a mess. I, lo- I loved that. That was, that was, yes. But Jesus did indeed say, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise and like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So, with this verse in mind, what teaching did we talk about last week? Oh, yeah. Attaboy, Dalton. We talked about possessions. We were talking a lot about possessions. Exactly. The key lesson that Jesus taught us when talking about possessions was this. He made it very clear. He said, don't store up. There we go. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So he said, don't store up treasures here on earth. They're only temporary. They're going to control us. Instead, we want to store up treasures in heaven where he said, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So we talked about that last week. And again, if you missed it or if maybe you forget because it's been a long week, you can always go back and listen to them. You can always go back and listen to them. And then whenever I ask you a question of what we talked about last week, you'll know the answer. So you can always find them on the podcast. So make sure you use that as a resource for you. But that's what we talked about last week. But tonight... We're moving on to our final section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be breaking down. But before we get into that, I have a question. You ever heard of the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Yeah. Everyone's heard that. Exactly. Everyone should have most likely heard this at one point in their life. Yeah. It's one where we're all pretty familiar with this phrase. We hear it all the time growing up. And I think there's a reason we hear this phrase all the time. It's because there's a lot of truth to this phrase. Like, there's a lot of truth to this phrase, because sometimes whenever we judge a book by its cover, we get ourselves in trouble a little bit. Like, whenever we're just judging things based off of our first impression of something or someone, ooh, we can get ourselves in trouble. And let me give you a quick example, and you're all going to make fun of me as soon as I show this picture, but 
This is a picture from, uh, from 2005, 2006. I would have been about uh, eight or nine years old at this point. And so, yes. Yeah, that's an absolute unit right there. That is the face of a warrior just staring into the heart of my enemies. But yes, I used to wrestle. I used to wrestle as a kid. And uh, yes, Kenzie, I'm scared. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, was, I was good enough. Like, my, my dad can attest, I was, I was decent. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I did have at least a career-winning record. Uh, but one of the things that I learned while wrestling was the importance of don't judge a book by its cover. You see, one summer I participated in this wrestling camp where uh, we all got together at this camp, and I learned, like, a ton at this camp. But midway through, we had these practice matches where we were going up against one another in, like, official match setting, we were just kind of like practicing some of the things we had been learning, and it was really good. Except my next match, and I had been doing pretty good up to then. Like we had three, I was two and one. I was like feeling pretty good about myself. And so my fourth match, I'm going up the, against this one kid who literally did not have an arm. Like he only had one arm. And if any of you know anything about wrestling, you need all your limbs to really be effective. And yet he, he like his arm went down to about his elbow, and then it was just like, I don't know how to say this without making it sound rude, but he had, he had a nub. Yeah, he's had the nub. Yeah. So he only had one arm and then like about half an arm length to his elbow. And so I'm about to wrestle this kid, and my thought is like, is this a joke? Like, I'm about to school this kid. Are you kidding me? Like, how is he supposed to wrestle with like one and a half arms? It doesn't work that way. And so, Yeah. And so I'm immediately just like, okay, this is going to be my easiest match yet because I'm already feeling pretty good because I just won my last one, and so I'm feeling good. And so we, uh, we shake hands with, you know, the arm that had a hand. And so we shake hands, you know, before, and then our coach blows the whistle for the match to start. And as soon as he blew the whistle, like, I was, like, just kind of, like, going to feel it out, see, like, what he was going to do. And, like, without hesitation, he immediately, like, with his one arm, dove at my legs took me down, and got me down for a takedown, which, and you know is wrestling, that's two points. That's two points for a takedown. So immediately, he was up on me, and all of a sudden, I was just like, what have I gotten myself into against this kid? And so we were just going back and forth, and I will say, I was able to pull out a win, but it was not easy. Like, it was significantly more difficult than what I thought, and I really had to work in order to get even close to coming back and beating him. But even though I ended up winning, man, I misjudged him. That, that face, that is the face of a clueless kid who just misjudges someone whenever they don't have both their arms when wrestling. But I misjudged him. I was so quick to just think, wow, he's probably awful. But no, he was actually really good. He was really good, and I misjudged him. And what's interesting is we see Jesus has a lot to say when it comes to judging and misjudging others. And so I want you to listen to this. As Jesus is up on that mountainside, he's speaking to that crowd that is there, and he said these words. So listen to this closely. Jesus said, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And he goes on to give a little example here, saying, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? 
How, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me get rid of that speck in your eye, whenever you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. So that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6 that we just read through. And there's a lot to unpack here, so let's go ahead and break this down. And as we do, we're going to go back uh, to verse 1 here, where Jesus said, pretty plain and simple, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. So, do not judge others. Pretty plain and simple. What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm going to look for someone who hasn't raised their hand yet. What does that mean? Do not judge others. What do we got? Jude? Just sort of try to make sure you're like in a good enough place that you can like advise other people. Mm. So kind of check, make sure you're in a good enough place to be able to advise other people. I think that's a good, I think that's a good definition. Anyone else have anything they want to add to that? Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's kind of clearing up like misunderstandings of how you might view someone. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good starting place. And I think kind of those two definitions, that's kind of what we often think of when we think of, you know, what it means to not judge someone. But I will say to really understand this passage, to really understand what Jesus is trying to tell us here, the first thing we have to do is we got to get a very clear definition of what exactly he meant when he said judge. What does he mean when he says judge because on the surface it seems pretty plain and simple but actually I found it's not quite as cut and dry as what we think it might be because there's a lot of common misunderstandings and misinterpretations of whenever someone just says hey don't judge don't judge me there's a lot of misinterpretations as you know this verse has been interpreted and changed and just in our English language how we have changed and using that phrase it has caused our understanding of this verse to change. And so the first thing I just kind of want to explain, and I want you to listen close to this, because whenever Jesus says, do not judge, I think sometimes it's common for people to misinterpret it and thinking of something like this. Like sometimes we think of judging as, do not judge means you shouldn't call some behaviors good, and you should not call some behaviors bad because that's being judgmental. And I think that's a common misunderstanding of what it means to judge others. And I think that's a common misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. Because throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about this for at this point, this is week eight. We've been talking about this for a while. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly talking about what is good and what is bad. He wants us to be able to have that understanding of things. Because he's consistently telling us that. I mean, just think about last week. We talked about possessions, right? And Jesus made it clear. If we, were, if we are treasuring our possessions on earth too much, if we are, you know, our greed is taking over, that's bad. How about a couple weeks before that? Talked about anger. Talked about lust. Talked about wanting revenge. He explained that those are bad. It's okay to look at things in our world and call them out as being like, now, that's wrong. Like racism, that is wrong. Abuse, that's wrong. We can say that. Like materialism, cheating, lust, we can say very clearly, those are wrong. And it's okay to do so. 
And it's also okay for us to be able to hold each other accountable when we see someone who's messing up. We see someone who's falling into the trap of some of these things where Jesus makes it clear that they're wrong for us to do. I mean, Jesus himself, he encourages us to do this in Matthew 18. Later on in the book of Matthew, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, it's doing this with someone that you know that you have this close relationship with where you can help hold each other accountable to what is right and what is wrong. And so Jesus, whenever he's saying, do not judge, I think it's very important that we understand that it's still important for us to hold each other accountable. Do not judge means that we just let people do whatever they want. That's not what do not judge means. And so what does it mean then? Because that uh, invites the question. And if you ask me, I think the problem is the word judge is actually not the right word we should be using. Because again, as our English language has changed and as our translation of this passage has changed, I think there's actually a better word we can use here that more closely defines what I think Jesus is trying to get us to learn. And I think that word is condemn. And so we should be reading Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2 to sound something like this. Do not condemn others, and you will not be condemned. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in condemning is the standard by which you will be condemned. Now, let me ask you, what what does condemn mean? What does it mean to condemn? What does that word mean? Any ideas? Someone who has not raised their hand? Will, what do you think? To kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of like calling someone out, but in a bad way. And I think that's exactly right, because uh, our pals over at dictionary.com, they explain the word condemn like this. They say to express complete disapproval of, typically in public. And then it says to sentence someone to a particular punishment. You see, typically when it comes to condemn, it's where you're placing yourself up on this kind of higher pedestal and you're belittling them, you're calling them out, you're punishing them, and typically done publicly, you're shaming them. And that's not at all what Jesus wants us to do. And as we read in Matthew, he made it clear, do this just between you and that person, and if you need to, bring in one or two other people to be a witness if you need to. Like Jesus is being very clear, like we do not want to condemn people because when we are condemning others, it leads to this. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll be able to see well enough to get the speck out of your friend's eye. Because with condemning, again, we raise ourselves up on this pedestal. We start looking down at other people where, for example, if I look over and I see Jackson over here, he is just the king of gossip. And I just see Jackson is here. He is just whispering in Dunkaroo's ear, like all these little things. And I'm just like, Jackson, how dare you? As I point the laser right in his eyes, how dare you gossip? That is a sin. You should not gossip. Everyone, Jackson is gossiping 
How could he do that? And then, you know, a little bit later, let's say I'm over, I'm hanging out with Swopey, and Swopey and I were talking, and I'd be like, did you hear what Jackson was telling her there? You see, he said this thing about Waggy over there, and can you believe? And then Swopey, you're, you're, you might be like, Brady, are you, are you gossiping right now? And my response would be like, oh, no. Oh, I'm not, I'm not gossiping. I'm simply relaying a concern that I had, and I, did, I wanted your opinion on that concern that I had. You see, what happens is we start to validate our sin. For example, we'll say, I'm not grumbling and complaining. I'm just stating the facts. That's what I'm doing. I'm stating the facts. I don't grumble. I don't complain. I'm not a glutton. I just enjoy the good food that the Lord has blessed me with and provided me with. But I'm not a glutton. You see, we validate our own sin. We raise ourselves up on that pedestal thinking, well, it's okay for me to do those things. Or it's not too bad. But when we see someone else doing it, we're just belittling them, calling them out. We are condemning them. And what we're doing is we're looking at that speck in everyone else's eye. Well, meanwhile, we got a massive log in our own that we're completely ignoring. And it's so easy. It's so easy for us to fall into that. When we're too busy calling out the failures of others before our own, it's so easy for us to just completely uh, ignore that log in our own eye. And when we do that, we're condemning. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us not to do. He says, do not condemn so the question is then, what should we do in these scenarios whenever we see someone is in the wrong that maybe we don't know, and so we're not in a place to maybe go and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and hold them accountable because we just don't have that kind of relationship? Well, then what should we do? Like, for example, what should we do when it comes to, this is an extreme example, but this is one you often hear, like, the example of Hitler and the Nazis. What should we do whenever it comes to something like that? Because obviously, you know, back then, wouldn't have been easy to go and talk to Hitler one-on-one, -on -one, being like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. So what do we do then? What do we do in that kind of scenario? What's our response supposed to be? Well, it's in that moment, it's in that moment where it's our job not to stand on that pedestal and start condemning and calling out, that is not our job. We leave that in the hands of the ultimate judge. It's our job to step aside and leave that into the hands of the ultimate judge. And who is the ultimate judge? Nate's pointing up. Typical Sunday school answer. Uh-huh. Typical Sunday school answer. Jesus, God, yes. He is the one true judge. Or we will leave this in his hands. Listen to this. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter. In James chapter 4, verse 12. He made it really clear. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, God is the only one who is fit to judge and condemn. And I know when we think about that sometimes, we get this misconception where we think of God as this ultimate judge, kind of like the cartoons where he's like 
up in the clouds with like a lightning bolt in hand, ready to just like start throwing them down, smiting people. Like that's the kind of like visual we might get. Yeah, almost yeah, kind of like Zeus, but that's kind of like the visual that people have where they think of God as only this God that just wants to smite people whenever they're wrong. Like he, was, he only wants to bring death and destruction. Like that's what a lot of people have when they think of God. That's what a lot of people think of God, and that's what they think he's like. And that is clearly not how God judges and condemns. That is not how he does it at all. Instead, as we find throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we learn two very key lessons about how God judges, about how he is the one true and ultimate judge. And the first thing we learn about this, and this is really, really important, is that when God judges, he judges with all the facts. He judges with all the facts. Because unlike God, he doesn't just look at a book by its cover. He doesn't judge it by its cover. He isn't someone like us where we might just first judge and think of someone based on outward appearances and first impressions. But instead, God knows all the facts. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 16. God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. You see, well, we're just making guesses and assumptions, like little Brady, when he was eight or nine years old, wrestling against the kid with one arm, I was making the assumption, this kid's a loser, and I'm going to destroy him. Well, meanwhile, God knew his heart, and he knew that I was about to get humbled real quick. Exactly. I looked at him, I was condemning him, I was looking down upon him. But God, he knows the facts. God knows all the facts. He knows what's contained in the entire book, while we only know what's on the cover. God knows all the facts. That's the first thing we know about God whenever it comes to him as the ultimate judge. And the second thing, and this is really important, is that God is one who, as he's the ultimate judge, he judges out of love. And that's really important. And Paul explains this in Romans 2, verse 4. He says, Don't you see just how wonderfully kind and wonderfully tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Because for us, whenever we are judging someone, we like to be like quick, we're rash with our judgment, we're rude, and we're merciless with our judgment. But God, that's not what he does. Like, we want to kind of drag people down to raise ourselves up. But God is like, no. No, that's not what I want to do. If someone is doing something wrong, I want to help raise them up to become better. And he makes it very clear, talking about what is it that helps turn someone from their sin. If someone is struggling with a sin makes it clear it's not condemning them that is going to bring them out of that sin but it's love it's his love quick question Uh, can someone quote for me john 3 16 actually honestly all of you can probably do it so this i just want to hear how awful it sounds and not in unison because i think it's hilarious so go ahead and quote for me john 3 16 3 2 1 go Very good. Actually, that was, that was honestly pretty good. You all were pretty in unison. I'm impressed. But 
John 3.16, it's an awesome verse. It's probably the first verse you ever memorized as a kid. And it's because, you know, our whole gospel is based around this verse. It's really important. But the verse after it, John 3, verse 17, it doesn't get a lot of love. And I think that's a problem because there's some really powerful truth we can learn from John 3, verse 17. Listen to this. For God has sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's awesome stuff right there. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Because what this means for us is that through God's incredible love and his incredible mercy, unrighteous and unworthy sinners like us, we can become changed. We can be transformed from our sin and led to be saved. And it's not because of this condemnation, but it's because of his love for us. That's why he came. He came to save us. He didn't come to ridicule us and raise himself up on this platform. He came to lift us up to be there with him. And I think that's awesome. So God is the ultimate judge. He knows all the facts, and he judges us with love. He's not trying to smite us with lightning bolts or whatever you might think of, but he judges us with true love. And as his follower, he's asking us to do the same. When it comes to us and how we view other people, he's challenging us to do the same. Going back to our passage in Matthew 7, remember what verse 2 said? Kind of sounded a little bit like the golden rule. Let me read this for you. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So, for example, if I go and I see Grant mess up, and I just start bad-mouthing Grant. I'm standing on my pedestal just talking about how Grant is such a loser. He is just the worst. He's constantly messing up. He should be kicked out of the church, kicked out of everywhere. He should just live a sad, miserable life. If that's how I'm treating Grant, if that's how I'm judging Grant, Jesus makes it very clear. If that's the way that I'm going to be treating people, that's the way that I'm going to be judged. That's the way I'm going to be condemned and treated. And uh, I heard a pretty cool analogy. In fact, uh, Pastor Sean, he shared this analogy a couple years ago, and it stuck with me just really, really well when he was talking about just what it means to judge others. And so uh, you guys know those little kiddie pools like, that used to have as a kid, like those like plastic ones that, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. they maybe, if you stood in it now, it would maybe go up to like your shin. Like they're like, these tiny little pools they're so small. Like they, they can honestly, when we think about it, it really doesn't hold that much water to them. But on the other hand, who here's ever been to the beach before? Yeah, most of us have had the chance to go to the beach. And if you ever like looking out on the ocean, you ever notice how it's like, you're like, you physically cannot see. Like it just seems like there's like an end to it. Like it's water as far as the eye can see. Like there is so much water. How much water, how many kiddie pools do you think it would take to fill up the ocean? Quick question. Tony, how many kiddie pools do you think it would take to fill up the entire ocean? Two kiddie pools? 
That's a great guess. I think it might be a little bit more than that. But my point is this, and it was this analogy that Pastor Sean gave that just really stuck with me. Because when the time comes when God is going to judge you, when your life here on earth is over and God is going to judge you, do you want him to judge you and measure you with mercy the size of a little kiddie pool? Or do you want him to judge you and show you mercy the size of the ocean? It's a pretty obvious answer to what I think we'd say to that. Obviously, the ocean. But the standard by which you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And here's the thing. When you leave this church tonight, and tomorrow, whenever you head to school, or maybe you'll go to the store, or you'll go wherever, somewhere, whenever you're out and about, you're going to be discovering a lot of people who are struggling, who are messing up. You're going to discover people with some greedy hearts. You're going to discover people with some lustful thoughts. You're going to discover some bad tempers, some insecurities, and it's so easy for us to get on our pedestals and to start calling them out and judging them and ridiculing them behind their back. That's the easy thing to do. But Jesus is calling each and every one of you to be different. He's like, yeah, I get that's what the world does, but that's not what my followers do. And that's what he's challenging you to do. Because Jesus is saying, it is so easy to just judge people and show people mercy the size of a kiddie pool. But what I want each of you to do is I want you to show mercy the size of the ocean. Just boundless mercy. And your school, your home, your sports team, your workplace, your scout group, your band, your choir, your musical ensemble, your friends, complete strangers, even people who might not even be able to stand you and you can't stand them. We need to show them mercy and kindness that is the size of the ocean. That's the person that Jesus is calling us to be. And I know it's so easy for you just to later tonight walk out these doors and just forget everything I said. I know that that's the easiest thing. It's so easy for us to do that. But I want you to remember this verse. And it's one I've read quite a while. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. We've listened to a lot of Jesus' teachings here during this eight weeks. And we seriously got to start applying this to our lives. Like, a lot of you may not have heard this earlier, but this was one of the coolest testimonies that I heard earlier. There was uh, a lady who got baptized uh, this Sunday morning up in the auditorium. And she just became a Christian two months ago. And when asked, why did you become a Christian? How did you get connected with the church? She said, oh, well, a friend of mine that I worked with, I just noticed something was different about her. She shown kindness and mercy the size of the ocean. There was something different about her, and I just could not help but just be attracted to whatever that was. She made it clear that it was her faith in Jesus, and so she wanted in. And lo and behold, two months later, she was baptized in the name of Jesus. I mean, that's awesome stuff. 
I think is you each have the opportunity to, to make that difference. Like, I know I, I'm challenging you, and I know it's tough, but apply these teachings to your life. As we've gone through these eight weeks, Jesus has challenged us to look at people the same way that he does. He challenged us with that way back in week two with the Beatitudes. Jesus challenged us to be the salt and light of the earth, people that make that positive impact on those around us. He challenges us to do that. He challenges us to control our anger, to control our lust, to be people that aren't trying to seek revenge, and to be the kind of person that prays for our enemies. He calls us to do that. Are you applying that to your life? Are you doing that? Jesus challenges us to be humble, to not seek attention from others whenever we do these good and righteous deeds. Are you applying that to your life? He challenges us to control our greed and selfishness and instead give to those around us. And lastly, as we talked about tonight, he challenges us to not be so quick to condemn and judge, but instead we want to be quick to show mercy and kindness and love the size of the ocean. Are you applying that to your life? Are you building your house on that solid rock? Because there's no better way to live. There truly is no better way to live. And I get the rest of the world, they might think, that sounds difficult. That sounds a little bit upside down. But the thing is, when someone who sees that who knows nothing much about Jesus or the church their entire life, a grown adult, and they see someone who is truly living that out, they're going to notice and be like, you're living your life a little upside down, and I want that. And so as we tackle with the Sermon on the Mount, there's a quote that we read at the very beginning of this series where C.S. Lewis said that the Sermon on the Mount it is the epitome of what our Christian life should look like. When we read this, this is exactly what we want our life to look like. And this is why I so often was reading that verse, seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 24. We need to apply these into our life. We need to start changing our habits. We need to apply these things to our life. So you're going to get the chance to talk about that a little bit more in your small groups but I cannot stress that enough. We need to be different. We need to be different. That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for providing us with your incredible words and teaching. You guide us and how we should be living our lives. You give us this perfect standard of life. And the problem is, compared to the rest of the world, it seems a little upside down to do so. And it's hard for us to do so. It's in our nature to sometimes not be quick to obey some of these teachings. But God, it's my prayer that each of us in this room, we can truly apply this into our life that we can truly start making a difference to those around us by really living this out, not just, you know, talking about it 
putting up a good front and then forgetting about it, but truly applying this to our life. May we do that and do that well. Lord, guide us and forgive us when we mess up. And don't let us lose heart when we do mess up, but instead give us the strength to keep on going, to get better. We thank you for this group of awesome teens and leaders. May we live out your teachings well and represent you well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org slash students.